Good morning, City Life. Good morning, visitors. Thank you again for joining us. Welcome to church, virtual church. We're so grateful for this time that we have together. So grateful for all of you. Hey, if you've been uh, coming to our church for a while or if this is your first time, like the announcement said, there's a section here under the tab called Notes. And it says, I'm new. Click that. We want to connect with you. That is what we are all about as a church. We want to connect, live the gospel out together. Sundays, we love Sundays, but the rest of the week is where the true Christian life is. That's where we live with one another for the sake of knowing Christ. And so join us with that. We love to get to know you. I'd love to have a cup of coffee with you, get to have a meal with you, um, talk about how we can plug you into our church. And so I'm Pedro Reese. I'm the lead pastor here, and uh, it's my privilege to serve here. Today, I want to start talking about this. In two months, I am turning 35, and to me, that is crazy to think about. I, I'm one of the oldest people at our church, which is funny because we are not a very typical demographic church, uh, but I'm not the oldest. I'm one of the oldest, and it, I just can't fathom turning 35. To me, that sounds so old, and not to offend anyone in our church who is the few that are older than me, but... Just thinking about myself, like I still feel like a kid at times, and it's just insane to me. 35, that's five years away from 40. That's insane. That's crazy. I've changed a lot in my life, and not like due to anything good that I've done, but man, life just changes you, right? Uh, life has this, this way of taking you and shaping you and molding you, the good and the bad. I've also been reflecting on growing up and being changed and formed. Uh, next year, I will have been together with Anne. I, we've been together as a couple for 18 years. And I met Anne when I was 18. We've been together for 17 years now. I met her when I was 18. I am not the same person I was as that 18-year-old kid. Like, Anne is not the same lady girl that she was when she was 18 years old. Life just has this way of changing everything, right? Our experiences come into, like, our hearts and our souls, and they shape us. And the bad things and the good things that happen to us inform the way we think and then the way we act. It's just, we're always changing, like life has this ebb and flow to it. Life has this way of getting in, seeping into who we are and, and forming us and changing us and maturing us, even when we don't expect it to, even when we are resisting change. Change is happening whether we're aware of it or not. Life is characterized by change. And that's what I want to use to launch us into our sermon this week is that we are always changing. There's always some forming happening somewhere in our being. I think God teaches us this even bodily, even in our body. Like he, he has all these signs for everything out in the world, and one of them is our body. I was reading a couple months ago about how uh, it's cellularly, we are, our bodies are completely new every seven to ten years. You are made up of all new cells in seven to ten years, and like, we're changing. Even those of us who resist change, who don't like change, who wants things to stay the same, it's just impossible. It's a losing fight. And so today we're asking questions like, what is changing in you? Like, what's being formed in you? 
And how intentional are you being about your formation? And who is the one who is forming you? We're back in our Moses series. This is week three of our four weeks in Moses. And so far we've looked at the story of a very real God who meets up with a very real man, Moses, through very real life circumstances, through nitty-gritty, painful, happy, through success, through depression, through admiration, through disappointments, through highs and lows and struggles, betrayals. And God takes this man and he forms him. One of the reasons why I love Moses' story is because we see the whole gist of it. We see it from day one where God had all of his fingerprints all over all of the circumstances. Even though we do not see him in there, God is intentionally helping Moses, intentionally putting Moses where he needed him to be. And then at the very end, we see this man who grew up, who's a giant, who led a nation, who freed a whole people from slavery. And we see this man who, like, whose funeral was attended by one individual, God, who buried him himself. Like, wow. Like, I want to see the life in between that is happening between those extremes. Like, God, how did you take Moses and how did you form him? How, God, like, how did you do this incredible work in this man who is one of the pillars of our faith? Week one in our Moses series, our only assignment was to understand the man. Understand who it was that God brought into this world to freeze people, to wander in the desert, to be his servant. So our, we only cared about getting to know this snapshot of where, who was the man Moses. And we talked about how he was this third culture person, right? He grew up in two, not even just different worlds, opposite and opposing and hate-filled worlds as a Hebrew, but living in Pharaoh's court, like living as one of Pharaoh's adopted kids. Insane that God would set him up like that. But even from the earliest of details in, in, in Moses' life, God was at work putting him exactly where he wanted him to be. And then how like this inner turmoil grew up and, and Moses killed a man, he killed an Egyptian, and then his own people turned on him, and then Pharaoh turned on him, and he ran away to a desert where he ends up by a well, which is the ancient world way of saying that he entered into the season of solitude, of trying to understand himself in the quiet of a desert with a simple life. And it culminated, the season of his life culminated when he had his firstborn son and named him, like had this radical act of honesty to himself and to the whole world. This is who I am. He named his son Gershom. And Gershom was Moses' identity, who he said and thought he was. I'm a nobody. I'm a traveler. I'm a wanderer. I'm a sojourner in a foreign land. I've been homeless. I've been made homeless. And so we see this picture of this man who thinks he belongs to no one, nowhere. And then last week, Ryan, Pastor Ryan did an amazing job at, at working us, bringing us through his calling. Right? God, in, in the first act, like God had to wait until, or God waited until Moses was finally able to be radically honest with himself. 
And then as soon as he did, the burning bush invitation came into his life. And Moses saw this incredible thing happening and he gave it his full attention and, he, and a life that was characterized by meeting God all the time, their first meeting place happened. The second that Moses gave God his full attention, God spoke to him. God used it. God called him. God told him who Moses was, and he told him who he was. And he gave him this huge call in his life. But not only did God just know who he was and wanted him to know himself, not only did he call him, but today we're focused on the journey, the calling. Like, God, how did you take this man, this every excuse in the book man, and how did you over decades meet with him, provide for him, form him? How did you form your servant? That's what we are talking about today. Like, God, out of all of these tons and tons of stories from the wandering in the desert, like, God, how did you form your servant and in the process, your people? How are you able to do that for Moses? Because I think you can do that for us because we know you can form us because, God, we need you to form us today. And so today we are looking at two key ingredients as to how God formed Moses, how God taught Moses trust, how God demonstrated his capability, his awe, his might, and how he brought Moses and a whole baby nation to be able to call God their God. The first thing we're going to look at is how God provided through divine power. And then the second, how God formed Moses through meeting. Power and meeting. And so let's pray. Let's pray so that the Holy Spirit is here, so that the Holy Spirit can help us to understand what God was doing in Moses' story. Let's pray so that we do everything according to God's will. And so pray with me. Jesus, I thank you for this day. And I thank you just for how incredible you are. Lord, I thank you how in these stories you like show us that you demonstrated us how you took your people by the hand and you formed them and allowed them to learn how to trust you. Lord, I pray that same activity to be happening in the life of this church and the life of anyone who is listening, Lord. Holy Spirit, we invite you here as I preach, Lord, and as we listen to do the work that only you can do of, of teaching us how to rely and trust in you. Lord, we say that your work is what we want, nothing else. And so come and uh, teach us today how you can form us, how you lead us to a place of trust. We love you and um, we say yes to your mighty work. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So let's dive into Moses real quick. All right, so we're, we're back in Moses. I said in the first week of this Moses series, like I, I, in my opinion, the only development that we see in a person or in a group of people that rivals the change that I see in Moses' story, in Moses' heart, in the man who he was, the man who he became, I only see that amount of development rivaled with the, apostles, the disciples who turned into the apostles. Like to me, it is just otherworldly how God demonstrates his ability to care for his people in the life of Moses. Like I, I just see, uh, and I want our mission to be clear for today, that we are looking at like God's ability to form a person. 
to, to form people into the calling, into the, the character that he sees that he has made us for. How does God take us and lead us into the? How does God take this every excuse in the book, this babbling, excuse-making, trying to get out of everything in the beginning uh, leader and make him into who the man that we see in Deuteronomy 34.10? Deuteronomy 34.10 says this, And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. What? <laughs> That is so crazy. Like, God, how did you take this wandering murderer and make him this leader? How did you take this very real man with very real struggles and lead him for decades through his assignment? The first that we already identified that we're going to jump into right now is that God formed him through providing power. Part of what makes Moses' story stand out to me is the consistent display of power that God shows, not Moses, that God shows for his people over and over again in this story. See, over and over and over again, God, God puts on display his might, his ability to provide, his ability to act, his ability to do whatever he deemed necessary to take care of his people, to see his plan come to fruition. To see God challenge the mighty Egypt for a slave people? Like, what? To see God challenge the deity of Pharaoh for a murderer? What? Like, that's crazy. That's backwards. But the story of Exodus is God putting himself on display for the world to see and also for his baby nation to see and also for this one man to see who God really was. And to look at all of these crazy instances of power today, I want to start with the first one. The first one that God shows Moses. Let's go to Exodus 30, um, 34. Exodus chapter 4, verses 1 to 5. The very first instance of God demonstrating his power to Moses comes here. Right after the burning bush. Actually, I mean, still them talking in this discussion. Verse 1 says this. Then Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, what is, that, what is that in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it. And it became a staff in his hand that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. See, I love this. I love that God starts here. I love that his first display of power for Moses to see was in this intimate, private, connected to his calling place. Right In his calling, God was, did more than just tell him what he had to do. He starts revealing to him his identity. He starts revealing to Moses who Moses is like this intimate space, and then he shows him his power. And like every other instance of God demonstrating his power that we see in the Bible, he, like the, we are given the reason here. 
Moses is worried about if people will listen to him or not, if they'll follow him or not. But God says, you know what? This is why I'm going to act powerfully. This is why I'm like, going to act powerfully through you or to my people over and over and over again. In verse 5, it says, That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. It's like, Moses, it's, this power is like me on display. It's to show people that they can trust me, that I can provide for them. And so the Exodus is just like this ongoing miracle after miracle, big, like huge scale and also small, noticeable and like not noticeable. All these signs, all these miracles, all these acts of power, God teaching his people, trust in me. You can trust in me. I'm enough. I can provide for you. Life is hard. Life is going to change you. Life is going to get your attention. When I, when I was one of the campus pastors at Nyack College, like one of the things that I was always so passionate, I always tried to do uh, so much was tell college students, like, prepare because the real world is coming. Like, you're going to leave this bubble and life is going to come into you. Life is going to invade you. The enemy has all these bad plans for you. And it's going to come in. You, you, like, you have all this pie-in-the-sky idea of your future, but it's also going to be very hard and it's going to shape you and mold you and change you. And it's going to regrettably make you make bad conclusions. But God has this way of always providing. Like God always provides for his people. And so Exodus is this like story after story of God teaching Moses and the people, you know what, you think this is the end? Let me do this to help you. You think you've reached the end? Let me do this to help you. The pandemic for me has been a series of like three times where I have reached this point where I'm like, okay, God, that was fun. It's over now. Okay, God, this is insurmountable. I am losing. I like, I won't have this job for very for long. But yet God over and over and over again at the right time provides. These are just a few of the stories in which God provides for his people. Like all the 10 plagues. God showing his majesty, his might, his mastery, his supremacy over even the great Pharaoh, the God Pharaoh, right? Who they called themselves to be. And even over the mighty Egypt, the mighty Egypt, God was demonstrating that he could do whatever he wanted, even to us using things that we see as evil to make his plan come into fruition. God, all the plagues, use all the plagues. God also, like, he led his people, this is crazy, he led his people through the day, he would become this pillar of smoke, and wherever that smoke went, they would follow. And at night, he would turn into this pillar of fire, and, and wherever that fire was, his people would be there too. Like, what? That's crazy. That's absolutely insane. He was literally shepherding them. Crossing of the Red Sea was like, not only did he hold off the Egyptians, the hold off their military, not only did he like do all of that and create all that confusion, but he split the waters and not only did they go through and barely make it, but they went through on dry ground, like saying, God can do anything. Are you kidding me? God will provide for his people. Another instance where like, wow, God made a way for us. When Miriam challenged Moses's authority, his leadership, when she was trying to get this revolt against him, when she was trying to usurp his power, like God gave her leprosy 
to protect his plan, to protect his people, to show them, hey, don't overstep me right now. I am still also your Lord Almighty. He healed them, right? Also because Moses begged him to. But he healed Miriam. But it's just this crazy display of like, wow, God, you are incredible. You are all-powerful. Moses spent 40 days with him up on Mount Sinai getting the Ten Commandments. And from the, from the perspective below, it was just madness, lightning and thunder and fire. It's just like crazy trying to picture this in your head. But God over and over again was demonstrating that he was good enough, he was big enough to see them through. Exodus 15 is like this little short but really sweet, uh, like curious instance of God demonstrating his power. They came to this place where the water was very bitter and they all, like they usually do, start complaining and say, oh God, why? Like we should have just gone back. We should have stayed there. At one point they say like, Lord, like, or they say to Moses, Moses, why did you take us out? At least in Egypt we had all the meat we could have. I'm like, okay, I guess a couple of T-bone steaks are worth being slaves, but all right, as very human nature-y of that. I would have probably said the same thing in my weaknesses at the time, but in Exodus 15, they get to this place where the water is bitter and they can't drink it. And then all of a sudden, God shows Moses this log and Moses throws the log in and the water becomes sweet. I'm like, God, even in the little things, you provide for your people. Exodus also says that their, their clothes never wore out and their feet never swelled up. Like God even miraculously providing in their bodies to wander for as long as he had them. God providing daily manna and water for them. For this whole nation, hundreds of thousands of peoples, that is insane. Exodus is God showing that he could provide over and over and over again. And he provided for Moses over and over and over again by acts of power to show him that no one can ever usurp him, that no one can ever overcome this God, the God of their ancestors. Incredible. And to, start, and to end this point where we started, let's go back to what happened with the snakes. Like the reason why I think I highlight this story is because it's just so perfectly what God does. In Exodus chapter 7, the snakes come back up. In Exodus, oh, I went too far. In Exodus 7, verses 8 and 12, they go, God, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh, that it may become a serpent like before. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just what the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Like it happened. God demonstrated his ability to do this in front of even the mighty Pharaoh. And it continues. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. For each cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But but Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. I love this story. I, I love that it is like this demonstration of power in Pharaoh's court, in his presence. But the reason why I think this is so profound is like, yeah, I don't know how. But Pharaoh's guys were able to do the same. His magicians, his sorcerers, his wise guys, they also produced snakes, serpents. There is this real power in this world that does not belong or honor God. 
It happens. I don't know how, but it happens. But the beauty behind this, to me, that like exemplifies God's power throughout the whole Exodus story comes at the very end there. It says, but Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs, demonstrating, you know what? You might even be able to give me a counterfeit, but it won't win, or it's not real, or it's not going to last against what God has to give. And so the Exodus is this beautiful story of God forming Moses and his whole people to trust him because he is powerful. And I wonder for how many of us do we like never go to God to not test him, not to demonstrate himself, but say, Lord, I need your help. I'm broken. I'm hurting. And I need to lean on you. Provide for me. I'm done providing for myself. I'm done working myself to the bone trying to figure this out. Let me lean on you. You're my God. Help me. And seeing how God provides. I think that if we are a people who constantly go to him and say, look, Lord, there's a sense that we're wandering here in Jersey City for you. But we need to rely on you. Show us the way. Provide for us. We trust you. We want to trust you with more. We want to be more ambitious for you. Show us how to do that and provide the way. And I know God does it because he does it every time. So God formed Moses and his whole nation through divine acts of power to trust in who he is. But I also see our second point for today, God forming Moses through meeting. The second major ingredient as to how God formed his servant was through this like incredible discipline of routinely and intimately meeting with him. You know, Exodus 33, after some time of them doing this together, right? After a good amount of time wandering in the desert, Moses is still struggling. He's still constantly questioning, but he always has this intense, real, honest conversation with the Lord. Like Moses challenges God like very few people in Scripture do. And God allows him to do that time and time again. Sometimes he yells at him and says, back off, I am the Lord God Almighty. But he lets him do this because they have a real relationship with them. See, Exodus 33, verse 11 says, Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Like, that's crazy. Moses was this very real man who had an extraordinarily large burden on his life, an immense calling. But time and time again, Moses leaned not on what he could do. He knew his weaknesses. He was very, actually, too well in akin to what he couldn't do. But he went to God all the time. And you know what? They talked. God went back at him. He went back at God. They had this real exchange all the time, demonstrating to us that like, we can be real with the Lord all the time. He already knows what's going on in our heads. He knows what's going on in our hearts. Like, let's lean on him. Actually treat him like he's real. And I see this happening all the time. And I want to read Exodus 33, 12 to 19. This is an incredible story. It's verse, starting in verse 12, it says, Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you, also, and you have also found favor in my sight. 
Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. Here, Moses is like, man, like, God, like, you gave me this task. What's going on here? I still am trying to figure out what in the world you're doing. These are your people. Like, show up. Like, Lord, what are you doing? The realness, like, just grasp the realness of a man saying this to God. Saying this to the God who's already demonstrated over and over again who he was and what he was capable of. And yet Moses was real with God and God was real with Moses. And God says, here, starting in verse 14, And he said, God, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And he said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us, so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? He's like, well then, isn't your presence coming with me? Like, Lord, I need you in this journey. I can't do this without you. We are not a distinct, we are not a distinct people, a set-apart people. If you are not with us, isn't this what you've called us to? He's like, Lord, please. Continue to be with us. Meet with me. I can't do this. We cannot do this without you. We're nothing without you. And the story continues in verse 17. And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight. And I know you by name. Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. It's just this incredible story. From here on, like God brings him to this cleft in the rock. And God walks by him, but doesn't let him see his face. Because no man can see his face. And he sees his glory. And it's just like this perfect picture of what happens in Moses' story all the time. was that God showed up and God met him. They even set up this, men, uh, this tent of meeting outside of the camp that Moses would go to, and these incredible sights would happen every time that he went there. When Moses was heading to the temple, all the people of Israel would stand and wait until he entered the temple, and these incredible sights happened. But in those moments were these intense, beautiful moments of interaction with the Lord. God spoke to Moses as if he was real. And Moses spoke to God as if he was real. And they relied on each other's relationship. I mean, God didn't need to rely on Moses, right? But Moses relied on his moments away with the Lord to fulfill anything that he felt he was called to in his life. And he expected answers from God because God is someone we should expect to answer because he is almighty. I read these two quotes from a book that I've been reading that I thought were super applicable and super insightful. The book is called A Work of Heart and is by Reggie McNeil. And specifically writing about Moses, he writes this. Moses had to be closer to God than any other human of his day. Moses would have to deliver the word of God to Pharaoh. He would not misspeak words of such import. Moses would take down the very law of God for his people. The scribe of God to the scribe of God, excuse me, had to know the one speaking and understanding understand him clearly. 
Moses' writings would present the world with knowledge of creation, the flood, the great stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as told to him by God himself. These revelations would be entrusted by Yahweh only to someone familiar with him, a great friend, a man accustomed to audience with God. Moses would come to find his greatest sense of belonging in his communion with the God of the burning bush. Moses' reliance on Yahweh became a signature became a signature of his leadership style. Intimacy with God was Moses' driving force. Knowing God, speaking to him, being in his presence is the thing that most formed the life of Moses, most empowered the journey that he was on over and over and over again, returning to the solitary place with the Lord, asking him for intimacy and presence and clarity. God provided for him all the time. God provided for his nation all the time. He eventually led them to this place where they became his God. They never fully lived for him, but God was their God. And so I just think about us and I'm like, Lord, like, do we let you form us in these two ways? Like, God, do we let you speak into who we are and then demonstrate who you are and then go to you in silence like we're going to our king and say, Lord, help me. Show me the way. Teach me. Meet me. Just be in the room with me. See, I pray that all of us have this sense of like, wow, we know that we're called to this great thing. Like God has not put just getting by in our DNA. I have this vision of this person that God has made me to be. Much of our visions are incomplete and like really just prideful. But in there, there's a heart of like this person that God has made us for great things. And so I pray that us as a church, we are able to say like, God, I need you to provide in my life through power because then that means I'm actually living for something that's too big for me to accomplish. Like God, I, like our church wants to, bring pe- wants to grow through bringing people to faith for the first time. I cannot do that, provide that for us. And however you want to do that. And it's like, Lord, I, I don't even know which way to go. I'm still trying to make peace of who I am and have, have rest in that. Like, Lord, let me meet with you over and over and over again and expect you to act and talk to me. Church, I pray that we are entering into this season of solitude, of meeting God, of being with Him, of letting these two, His power and His meeting shape us profoundly. I think that is what is behind us being a church that will reach people for the first time. Because God has put that on the heart of this church to bring people to faith for the first time. And that is a tall task for, too tall of a task for any of us. But I pray that we have this peace in us that comes from these two things. That we let God take us by the hand like he did Moses, like he did his people in the desert, and shape us and form us. Next week, we're going to be talking about Moses' end and his legacy and the person who took, uh, took power after him. And see how that all like plays into, like, Lord, take us, lead us. We need your power. We need to rely on you.
So church, our assignment for this week remains to be in presence with the Lord. Give God time every day. I'm not going to tell you even how much time, but carve time out. Like we saw in the burning bush, God only like truly powerfully got Moses' attention when Moses gave him a chance, when Moses gave him silence and attention. And so let us do the same. Spend time with the Lord every day this week, saying like, Lord, can I have your presence? Can you meet me? And what are you saying to me? Church, we love you. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we will have news shortly, God willing, on an indoor meeting space. We understand that a lot of you here online uh, may not be there yet, but we are going to continue to be providing this space because we love you and because we care about our whole church, our whole body, and people hearing about the gospel. And so thanks for joining us. We'll see each other in MCs. Email me, preese at citylifenj.com. Reach out. We want to get to know you. We want to connect. We want to, I want to go have coffee. So let us give us that opportunity. We love you all. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see each other next week. Bye.